Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Hour number three of our program. I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you very much for joining us here. It is five o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Hope you're doing well. It's February 29th. Those who are born on February 29th only celebrate their birthday every four years. You think they, you think a 20 year old feels like he's five? Probably not. Interesting day though. Extra day, February 29th. Tomorrow's March, thank God. 478-646-ESPN is our number. We just have to call out Ken from coming to get him to call these days. Just throw him under the bus and all kind of vulgar things that we throw out there. Good afternoon, how are you? Hey, uh, are you looking forward to your 60th birthday? What is that, in like 12 days? No, not 60. God help me when that happens. Only 54, supposedly. I'm halfway down 108 in 13 days, 14 days. You're uh, you're losing your fastball, man. That guy called you out on Twitter a couple of days ago, and you just let him get off scot-free. And Which I think, one? Man. They call me out on Twitter all the time. time. Oh, it was some jackleg that saved a tweet from you like eight years ago. What the hell is that all about? I have no... I, I read that, and I'm like, man, that guy must have a lot of time on his hands. Yeah, I, I, I can't... It was, uh, oh, it was about Julio Tehran... I had said that uh, I thought Julio Tehran and Jim Callis had backed me off of this when I when I did this, but I said I thought Julio Tehran required a pretty good package in return if the Braves were going to trade him. Of course, the Braves never traded him and just let him walk away as a free agent. But still, this guy for some reason had saved that tweet and brought that up when I said brought that up about possibly trading. Trey Young, and he brings up a tweet from eight years ago. It's like, you are a loser, dude. <laughs> God almighty. I've, I have, I have say, I'm going to be honest. I have saved one tweet in my life. Do you want, to, you, want me to, you want me to read the tweet, and I'm going to see if you can guess who wrote this tweet, okay? Because you, you might know who wrote this tweet. You ready? Mm-hmm. This was on November the 29th, 2015. Floored that Georgia fired Mark Rick. He deserved one more year. Who wrote that tweet? Huh? Is it a, is it a caller? No. Floored that Georgia. Uh, Floored that mm. Georgia fired Mark Rick. He deserved one more year. 12.26 p.m., November 29th. 2015, which was a great day in the history of Georgia football because Mark Rick got fired. Russ Brown. <laughs> <laughs> he probably wanted him to stay. <laughs> no, no, it was not Russ Brown. You want to try one more time? Um, Tommy Sadler. <laughs> Barrett Salee. Oh, God. I thought yeah. he, I should have said Mike Griffin. Yeah, no. Now, I actually saved that tweet. I wish I'd saved the one when he told me that I, when I, when I said that uh, Mark Rick should be fired like in 2011. And he said, you're better than that, Bill. Who the hell says that on social media? How do you know if I'm better than that? Maybe I'm not. I'm better than that to want somebody better than Mark Rick to Georgia, you loser. 
Well, you anyway. are a coach killer. There's no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. I'm, let me you tell you now. You can get some people fired now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, Arthur Smith. He can thank me, can he? Well, I, I guess I'm taking the moniker of the show villain, which is fine. I mean, you know, there's always got to be a black hat in the room. So that's going to be me during baseball season. But um, Better than blue. <laughs> our teams, our, both of our teams are going to win 100 games. And unlike last year, they're going to play in the championship series. Good God help us. Oh, that Lord. so deflating. It well, was. let me tell you, I, I'll be shocked if that doesn't happen. I mean, I don't see anybody in the Central worth the crap. I just don't see anybody else in the East or the West that – I mean, I know the Phillies are obviously going to be there. I'm not discounting them. They'll be there. And maybe the Giants will as well. Maybe Arizona will as well in the West. But, my gosh, these two teams are just at the top of the mountain right now. I don't see anything close. I uh, I heard your boy uh, – you never called me, but your boy Chipper Jones was in Atlanta on the radio. I won't say which station because I don't like him. But he said – But you listen to him. Well – you're not on, so okay. I'm, I'm not cheating on you. Okay, okay. okay. It's better right. than listening to the crappy radio station. But anyhow, he said that the Braves brought in Chris Sale for two reasons, or for two teams. This will excite you and your fans, and maybe I'll get a little bit of love. But he said to face Bryce Harper and Schwarber from Philadelphia. And who was the other ones? Uh, oh, Otani and Freeman from the Dodgers. Oh, yeah. And he said, if Sale is healthy, he is going to be a weapon against those four batters. And I'm like, well, that's actually a pretty good comment. So I thought I'd relay that to you. Well, I appreciate that. I think he's right. And, you know, um, I think also you look at Aaron Bummer coming in from Chicago. You know, I think think, uh, late innings to have another lefty, knowing that Matzik's going to be back, Lee's going to be back. But those two are obviously – uh, coming back from injury, um, Matzik from Tommy John and Lee from a shoulder thing. But to have Bummer with A.J. Minter and possibly the other two. And then, you know, he all also got Ray Kerr, the pitcher who didn't do very well today, from San Diego. And, and But all five of those people throw hard, all of them. And, and you know, lefty who throws hard, I think that's what gives them problems. Didn't we read a stat about how – rough it was for Bryce Harper against left-handed flamethrowers last year. I think we did. And um, so, yeah, I think I think Chip's right. I think – I don't think there's any doubt about it. And, you know, to me, all the options we were looking at for the Braves to join the rotation in, in the early part of the all-season were mostly right-handers like Aaron Nola. But you, you just bring in lefty Chris Sell, and, uh, I mean, my gosh, I, I think it's a great – a great addition and, you know, to be able to neutralize those. Because I want to tell you, you're right, no. If if, if Braves and Dodgers play in in a postseason series, especially hopefully in a league championship series, my God, I, that may be the World Series right there. He said that uh, another fact that you know, but I just thought I'll restate it, is that Sale has a huge um, – Cajonis? Yeah, a pair. And that, mm-hmm. uh, and he has a little bit of a really, really edge to him. I guess game day, he's mm-hmm. a great teammate, but he said he is a no nonsense kind of like, um, kind of like a Nolan Ryan. That was, a, mm-hmm. I think that was a comparison he uses. Very, very competitive, and uh, like Kurt Gibson was back in the day. Guys mm-hmm. that just don't take crap. Like you're going to do 
you're gonna he's a leader i think is the uh, there's the word a leader and i don't know if the braves needed a leader but maybe they just needed a, a personality to uh, i don't know i mean they're not a bunch of nice guys i mean they're phenomenal players but i don't know i just i thought i would share that with you and just kind of get your hopes up so that when they dash against the rocks of despair, you know, I'll, I'll be able to enjoy it even more. Well, that's schmuck. <laughs> All right. Uh, get the table ready at Bravino's when you have to buy me dinner when you, when the Dodgers lose the Braves. Hey, talk about your show tonight at 8 o'clock. I get to get online and give you Oh, crap. that's, that's right. So yeah, we get, we get to say uh, nasty words and call Ken what we really think about him tonight at 8 o'clock on the Shanks Unleashed podcast. Thank you for reminding me, since Eddie from Ackworth is too busy working to do so. 8 o'clock on YouTube. Go to YouTube and put Shanks Unleashed pod. It'll pop up there. We'll also have it through the Twitter account at Bill Shanks. So, yeah, we'll have some fun with that and uh, talk more sports at 8 o'clock. Go dogs, Bill. See ya. Bye-bye. Thank you. The great Ken from coming, even though he's a Dodger fan. We let him talk anyway. Brian in Savannah. Hello, Brian. Hey, bro. Hey, Bill. How you doing today? I'm good. All right. I, I was able to call in again. I think it's two days in a row. It's like a <laughs> new record. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to tell you, you are absolutely right about Chris Sale. Oh, my God, did he look awesome. Do you see that video? Oh, yes. He mm-hmm. was, oh, my goodness, four Ks and two innings, no hits. If he's healthy, they're not gonna. There'll be no reins on him at all. Well, I I agree. I think you just gotta let him go. I mean, I I just you know there, you 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 can't predict anything. You can't overprotect a pitcher and not know whether that mattered or not. Uh, who knows? You just gotta let him go be themselves. You know, and so I I think they will. And and he feels good right now. So keep it going and hope everything goes well for him because he's. He's still very, very good when he's on the mound. It's not a question of health. If he's able to get on their mound, he's healthy. And, therefore, if he's able to be on that mound, he is a big-time pitcher. So I love it. I think it's a great addition, and he I can't wait for his next start. You know, last year, Brian, I think all of us who watched the Braves were so anxious every time out to see the team hit. Like, the heck with this pitching stuff. Get them back at the plate. We want to see runs scored. We want to see how many things scored tonight. I think this year, for me, it's the exact opposite. It's I want to see these pitchers just shut people down. Yeah, so bring the pitchers or the hitters up more. Yeah. So, it's a win-win. <laughs> yeah. And the offense should, on paper, be better this year. Well, I think it's going to be tough because just how, the high level they were at all year long last year. And, you know, can they duplicate those numbers? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But even if it's 85% of, of you know, are we going to be disappointed if they only score 5.4, 5.3 runs this year? No, because it's still going to be a really good offensive season. So, yeah, I think it's uh, just a lot to look forward to, a lot of good things, and just kind of all stay healthy and not have any catastrophic injuries and you know you got to go through that you know things are going to pop up lord knows we found out about that the last few years with different things that have happened to this team so uh going all the way back to 21 the last last three years it's just been a a variety of things that have happened and popped up that they've had to deal with and overcome and for the most part they've been able to do that but wouldn't it be nice to have a marginally healthy season and to see what this team could do overall oh absolutely yeah i agree i i think I honestly think if if 
if Acuna can stay healthy, play 150, 155 games, he could do 50-80. There's no telling. 50 home runs, 80 steals. There's no telling. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, you know what? I think, Brian, it's so dangerous to put any reins on him to try to to put limitations on what he's capable of. Uh, you know, I think 50-50, wouldn't that be one of the best seasons in baseball history if he did something like that? I mean, the best season in baseball history. Yeah. I mean, my gosh, how can you – Yeah, I mean, it's just incredible to think about. Last year was pretty great too, right? What was it, 41-73? and 73? But if he were able to get – more home runs and he's he's got the ability he's he can he he he, if he wanted to only be a home run hitter he would probably be able to battle with with um barry bonds numbers oh absolutely yeah i agree and you know what's funny i was reading uh i read an article like when he was or read an excerpt from an article when he was a prospect and they were saying he was, and it just kind of goes into the football thing you were talking about earlier with these little tiny quarterbacks. He was little, and they didn't think he'd have any power. And now all of a sudden he's like, he can hit the ball anywhere he wants to, as far as he wants to. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, it's an unbelievable thing to be able to watch, for sure, to have uh, Acuna and this collection of players that, you know, and – all that happened last year, and then Matt goes and leads the league, and or the game, rather. He leads the whole sport in home runs and RBI. How often do you have a player do that? And and with unbelievable numbers. So, it um, you know, it, it it's it's a great offense that, who knows, could be as good or, or, or almost as good as it was last year. And, hell, who knows, maybe it's better. Maybe they can be. We'll see. So I do have one more question. Well, I have a couple more questions, but probably only got you only got time for one. I don't want to take up everybody else's time. Okay. Would you rather have Jaden Daniels or Justin Fields? Well, when you put it like that, see, when you put it directly like that, I think Jaden Daniels is my preference. I think the upside for Jaden Daniels is high. Um, I, I think the price for both of these – is is what causes me pause. You know, obviously Justin Fields is going to be quote unquote cheaper than trading up from eight even to three. Let's let's say if if um, New England was there at three and they didn't like Jaden Daniels and they entertained a trade, what would it cost? It would still cost a lot. It wouldn't cost as much as number one. But I think Jaden Daniels has a chance to be a special quarterback. I really do. I think he he we we saw a lot firsthand, obviously, of what he can do as an LSU football player, and he was impressive every time. You know, he wasn't even 100% healthy when he played Georgia in that SEC championship game, and he was still pretty damn good. I think if he had been healthy, that they would have given Georgia more of a more of a, a battle. But um, I'd probably go with Daniels. How about you? I, I I'm with you. I, I, Price wise, I think right now, like just for next year, is probably we'd be fine with Fields. Because, yeah. I mean, I've seen like maybe we don't have to give up a third or fourth round pick for Fields. Right. right. I mean, I don't know if, if we can get Fields for a third or fourth round pick. I mean, even a second round pick. But for Daniels, that's going to be like, what, two, three first round picks? Probably a, 
Well, if you're, if you're if you're moving up to get any one of those three, you're basically pissing away the first day of the draft, maybe even part of the second day for the next year or two. And look, if you're convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is your guy and he's going to be your quarterback for the next decade and a half, if he's your next Matt Ryan, if this is the replacement, it's like if you know in your heart 100% we've got to have Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is Pat Mahomes part two. He's this, he's that. We've got to have him at any cost. Then you don't want to give a damn about the, the other picks that you'd have to give up. But if you strike out, you're screwed. Right? Yeah. That that's it. I mean, if you if, if you strike out, I mean, there's not a whole lot of in between in a deal like that. You either hit a home run and have a franchise quarterback. Because let's be honest, that's what we're looking for here. That's what the Atlanta Falcons are looking for. Okay, Kirk Cousins may be a short term situation to make them better in 2024. Great. That's not. There's not a bad thing about that. But in the grand scheme of things, they are looking for the next franchise quarterback, the person who can replace Matt Ryan. And if they are 100% convinced and they're like waking up in the middle of the night and saying, we've got to have whomever it is, Daniels, May, Williams, then they need to go get him and not give a damn about the other two to first rounders they may have to give up and, and pray to God it works out. Because if it doesn't, they're screwed. Yeah, look at what happened with Bryce Young. Yeah. Oops. Well, and Chicago has been able to make chicken salad out of chicken poop because of the trade that Carolina made last year to move up to number one to take Bryce Young. And that, I think, made the situation with them striking out on Mitchell Trubisky a lot easier. Right, because they did the same thing a couple of years ago. And they struck out. We don't. We can't really judge Carolina in the Bryce Young thing yet. There's no doubt. Right now, it looks like a damn good move for Carolina. I mean, rather for for Chicago because Carolina sucked and Chicago got the number one pick of the draft. But um, you know, oh, it's just it's a hard decision, Brian. It's not cut and dried. It's not black and white. It's not. It's tough. It's a tough call. Yeah, I think the I think the NFL draft might, in some ways, be harder than the Major League Baseball draft. Oh, there's and no I mean, question. Yeah, I mean, look, all of it's a crapshoot, right? I mean, baseball even more so to a certain extent. But I think the 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 success rate is not necessarily better in the football draft. Do you think it would be? It's not. Really not. I mean, oh, no, no, let me back up. Are there more first-rounders in the NFL draft that get to the NFL than they do the baseball draft? Well, sure, because not all first-rounders in the baseball draft get to the big leagues. So it's a little bit different structure, but still, it, it's it's a crapshoot. I mean, look at Vic Beasley for the Falcons. Now, Vic Beasley, we can always be very grateful for the one year Vic Beasley had for the Falcons that was outstanding. But if not for that, he would have been a colossal failure at number eight, right? Yeah, I'll give you another name. You remember Andre Bruce? Sure. You remember Bruce Carson? Pickens? You remember the safety out of Nebraska that they took at number three, like in 1993 or four? Yes. Awful pick. Yep. Hey, look, Brian, if we do a show before the NFL draft on the worst Falcons draft picks – Keep the 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 uh, vodka bottle away. 
Because it's it's a rough show to talk about all the bad oh, draft picks of yeah. the Falcons. Oh, good God. Yeah, yes, it is. I mean, the, the Tito's cannot be flowing enough when that show happens because it'll make you want to swig a, a big old chunk of it now. Uh, how about you do that show at um, Sisters in Savannah, and I'll be there with you. <laughs> okay, we might do that. All right, Brian, thank you very much. We appreciate it. All right, take care, Bill. Thank you. All right, 478-646-ESPN, 646-3776. Sitting there watching the combine. The defensive linemen are running, doing their 40-yard dash times. So uh, that's interesting. Again, all the quarterbacks, the ones who are going to be there, will be running on Saturday on NFL Network. So it'll be something to watch. I want to see J.J. McCarthy. Not necessarily run. I don't give a damn how fast they are. I mean, I get it. I know. faster you are, the better you are. That's fine. But I want to see him throw. I want to see what J.J. McCarthy. You know, we, we see, we've seen what J.J. McCarthy looks like in the college setting. There's no question about that. It's nothing new. But, you know, when, when there is this, this setting, when they're in this pro setting, even though they're not drafted yet, they're not in the NFL yet, they're still in a little bit – non-college football setting, it's interesting to kind of see what they look like. And I'm looking forward to it, to be honest with you. 478-646-ESPN, your chance to throw a New York Met fan under the bus. We're going to have our man Mark Healy on, asking what's going on with the damn Mets. Mets aren't looking too hot right now, I hate to tell you. Well, I shouldn't be hated to tell you. I'm glad to tell you. I don't think they're, I think they're kind of in a little bit of a transition mode right now. I don't think the Mets – now, they came out and said we got a championship team, but they're wrong. It's not a championship team. I'm telling you, the Braves, the Dodgers, you want a championship team. <laughs> These two rosters, look out. Can you imagine in October if they two of them do, in fact, play each other in the NLCS? How unbelievable that would be. Oh, my gosh. Katie bar the door. It would be unbelievable. All right, phone lines open, 478-646-ESPN. We appreciate you being with us here on this Thursday. We'd love to talk sports with you. Back with more right after this. (music) 478-646-ESPN, 478-646-3776. Brett Beard uh, an hour ago said and mentioned the the 14-team thing that they're talking about now. Which is like, hell, we we had to fight to get to 12, and now all of a sudden we're going to go to 14. Uh, One thing, too, that uh, Bill King has harped on a lot, and and I am glad that he does. I don't know if it will make a difference, but Bill King on the morning show talks a lot about the, the need to get rid of the committee. He would like to go back to the computers. And... I'm interested in that. I don't know what the possibility is of something like that happening, obviously. Because these committee members, who's going to vote to do that? They'd have to pretty much kill their spot as a member of the committee. But how can you truly ask for objectivity when it comes to to that? That's always bothered me a little bit. And I, I don't have the committee members in front of me right now, but... You know, take any any committee member that's in the from the SEC. Is he going to be able to be 
objective about a team in the SEC? Or is he going to hate their guts and say, I'll get them? I don't know. I just never really liked that committee stuff. I'm glad Bill talks about that a good deal because that always bothers me too. How can you be objective in that situation? Now, like I, I, you know, I could not be objective about Auburn and Florida and Tennessee and the teams that are the big rivals for my team. I just couldn't. So I'll, I'll never be on the committee. They'll never ask me to be on the committee. Although I could be get on there and just screw those teams over. But it's the same. I mean, it's like you know, everybody's got their biases. We can all say, well, we're going to be objective about this, objective about that. But those computers are pretty objective. Do we trust them? Well, we trust the computers to, again, do what we would need for them to do, and that is to pick the best 12 football teams in America, or 14 or whatever the number is going to be. And look, I, I think the number is going to be a work in progress. If they do 12, because, you know, it's only really there for t- two years, if they do 12 and then it does accomplish what they want to accomplish, then who knows what the potential is? And and especially if we do not know what the potential is for these conferences. I think I, I, I'm going to answer a question that I asked Brett in the second hour of our show. I asked Brett Beard, you know, if he, if he was the SEC commissioner, who would he want to add? Well, I'll tell you, I'd want Florida State. I would want Clemson. I would want North Carolina and NC State. I'm not as big about the Virginia schools. Virginia and Virginia Tech, although supposedly the Washington, D.C. market would be included in that, and that's why they're looked at as as being somewhat um, attractive to other conferences. Um, I would want Miami. And, I, you know, I, I think Miami's going to be an interesting case because Miami doesn't have a great fan base, but I'll tell you, uh, the brand. If Miami football is popular, rather, I'm sorry, if Miami football is successful, they are popular. Let me say it that way. If, if they're good, they can be really popular, a popular brand. And I think, you know, look, if Miami football was back to where it was and has been in the past, how big would a Miami versus UGA game be in Athens or in Miami? Now, I know the crowd down there in Miami is awful. So that's not a good situation. And that would make Miami a little bit more of a wild card team. But, you know, would I want Clemson in the SEC? Hell yes. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I've always been one to believe. Not kidding here. Not kidding at all. Georgia and Clemson should play each other to start the year as they are this year, every single year. Every year. What are they, 70 miles from each other? Whatever it is. When Georgia and Clemson play, that is a good football game. I am, look, I don't want my team, well, I shouldn't say I don't want my team. I don't expect my favorite team, which is Georgia, to be perfect. Especially now, moving forward. Perfection is not going to be necessary in college football anymore. Now, you can't lose more than two. You've got to be really good, right? But you don't, you don't have to be perfect in college football anymore with the expansion of the, of the, to, the, to a playoff, to the playoff that's going to be more than four. You don't have to be perfect. 
You don't have to be almost perfect. Georgia was a one-loss team, lost by three points in the SEC championship game, didn't get in the final four. But now you don't have to be that perfect. You're, you're, if you're an undefeated team, you lose by three in your championship game, you're going to get into the final 12, you know? Um, but I've always said the Georgia-Clemson game ought to lead every season off. I mean, I just think it's stupid to not have that game, whether they're in the SEC or not. But I would love for Clemson to be in the SEC. You know, and, and, and a lot of people don't want – I think Coach Dooley was the one that was really opposed to Georgia Tech being in the SEC. I don't care if they're in the SEC. I don't know how that's going to hurt Georgia. Not How, how would ACC I – mean, excuse me, how would the Georgia Tech joining the SEC hurt Georgia? I mean, Georgia's already got – the popularity in the state of Georgia is being in the SEC going to make Georgia Tech much better? Well, that's their decision. They've got to make that decision. Just like I was speaking with that young man earlier in the show about Georgia Tech, they the the stuff about Georgia Tech, and especially with what we learned last week from the conversation with Paul Johnson, is very simple. And again, I'm repeating myself: Georgia Tech and its fan base, and its athletic department, and its president has simply got to decide whether they want to be in the football business or not. It's that simple. Do you want to be, I mean, there are a ton of teams that are in the football business. I'm talking about the business. I'm talking about winning. I'm talking about profitability. I'm talking about success. That's a whole different ballgame. And and now with NIL and with talent and with money on the line and with the brand I'm talking about, Georgia Tech should have a better brand than it has in football. I think it had a better brand under Paul Johnson, but there's no excuse for, for I mean, again, Todd Stansbury made a horrific choice when it came to replacing Paul Johnson. And he Paid for it with his job, right? I mean, he got fired right along with Jeff Collins. But there's no reason Georgia Tech shouldn't have a better brand when it comes to football. They're in the state of Georgia, for crying out loud. State of Georgia. I don't have a whole lot. I mean, I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for bad college football teams in this state. Whether you, whether you are so hell-bent on your academics that you don't care about athletics or not, you should have better talent because of where you are in your backyard and who is in your backyard playing high school football. Are you kidding me? And, and you know, if, if, if Georgia Tech wants to be more competitive in football and be more successful, uh, they, they can't expect all of their football players to have an SAT score of a million four, whatever the SAT score is these days. I don't know. You, you can't, you can't, that ain't going to work. But, you know, what are the benefits of a successful college football program for a, an, an, an academic institution? Well, I can tell you what. You know, I went to the University of Georgia for two years. Tuesday, I had to take my dog, Susie, my sweet 15-year-old dog who I love a lot, to Athens, to the eye doctor up there. And every time I go to that city, whether it's for a football game or to take 
one of my doggies up there for a vet business vet visit or whatever that's where i went to school and so there's pride of going back to where you were in school whether it's two years four years whatever or you know John Belushi, eight years of college down the drain, whatever you may spend. It's always a lot of pride going back to the place where you went to school. But when you go back there on a Saturday in the fall and watch a football team that is successful, man, there's a lot of value to that. There's value, there's value for that as a human being. There's value for that as an alumnus. There's value for that as a football fan. And if you don't give a crap about football and your team sucks – you're not going to have that same feeling among your fan base. So to me, I don't get someone not caring about football and saying, well, we're an academic institution. We only care about academics. Well, okay, that's fine. Have a bunch of nerds. But you know what? Those people who are nerds that make money later on want to come back to your institution and your place that you are in. And the best way to do that is by having a good football team. Because they probably aren't coming back for the academic bowl competition. Ooh, I, dra- I, I graduated at the top of my class in Georgia Tech. But you know what? I love going back every year for that academic bowl competition at Georgia Tech. Now, that may happen, but I think more people would go back for a damn good football team. So you've got to be in the football business. You've got to want to be in the football. You've got to want to be successful and know the ancillary benefits of what goes into having a football program that is successful and how people come back to your institution every year when that happens. Is there value of people going back to Athens every Saturday in the fall? You're damn right it is. I'm not talking about for the economy because they're going to go eat chicken fingers at Raising Cane's. I'm talking about there's benefit in the people who are going back and having a part of what their institution and their and their school means to them. I love going back to Athens every time I'm there because that's where I went to school. <laughs> and the the Saturdays in the fall, oh my God, is it as fun when they're not very good? No. So you got to decide what you want to be if you're in the football business or not. And you know, the the unbelievable story of Paul Johnson telling us that the president would only let him have one transfer in 11 years one and acted like he was doing him a favor they didn't want to be in the football business and yet cpj won pretty good without him didn't he four seven eight six four six espn that is our number ricky and lucy are here uh helping me run the show they are uh wanting dinner at five thirty nine. they gotta wait a little bit not yet boy and girl they they got they got a pretty good internal clock on them. They don't know what the time is on the clock, but they know toward the end of Dad's show it's time to eat. We'll take a break. Back with more sports talk right after this. Five forty four is our time. If you want to jump in with the phone call? You can four seven eight six four six ESPN. By the way, I had um, I had lunch today at Famous Mike's in downtown Macon. Brisket was on my plate. You got to love the brisket. It's awesome at Famous Mike's. I'm telling you, you'll thank me for it. Poplar Street, Macon, Georgia. 
Like I had the chicken fingers yesterday at Coach's Corner. They were delicious. And then I saw my good friend Tommy Sadler today. I did not get a donut, I swear to God. I did not get a donut. I did well. However, Tommy made me a squash casserole. I love squash casserole without the Ritz crackers. So no carb or low carb, I should say, in that. So that's going to be for dinner. And it's a great squash casserole. Mm, mm, mm. Looking forward to that. Uh, we may be going to Hawkinsville next Thursday. i got to confirm that with with Lewis. But we may be going to Hawkinsville here directly. So stay tuned. That's a definite possibility. Uh, Thursday is the day we like to go because of the Buff Way. But uh, we are discussing that internally of whether or not to go to Hawkinsville, which, I mean, I'd like to go all the time, don't get me wrong, but we got to make plans with Lewis to make sure everything's good. And uh, But we're, we're that could be on the agenda next week, so stay tuned. A um, couple things here. Number one, um, there, there's an article from Mark Bowman on the Chris Sale performance on Tuesday. Listen to this. Chris Sale's four-seam fastball averaged 94.9 miles per hour on Tuesday. This same pitch, the four-seam fastball, averaged 95.2 miles per hour in 2018, his most recent season not interrupted by injury. How dominant were his two primary pitches? The Pirates whiffed on four of six swings against the four-seamer and three of four swings against the slider. According to Baseball Savant, just 3% of the fastballs that sell through last season registered 97 miles per hour or higher. Only 25 of the 824 pitches that, uh, fastballs rather, that Chris sell through last season were 97 miles per hour or higher. And his hardest thrown pitch of the day on Tuesday was 97.1 miles per hour. And that was to Yasmani Grandal, who swung through to uh, strike out. But he had a 25-pitch, two-inning performance on, on Tuesday. And again, I had great video of that on my Twitter account. Also, the, the video I had today on my Twitter account of... The uh, Oh, I don't think I've mentioned this. So Rob Friedman is like that pitching ninja guy. He's really good. He's uh, in Atlanta, and he's uh, real interesting. He has all kind of pitching philosophies and different things. Anyway, he had a uh, what they call an overlay, video overlay of Spencer Strider's fastball and his curveball. And, again, at Bill Shanks on Twitter, at Bill Shanks on Twitter. Go there, and you can see it because I reposted that, and it shows some of – Spencer Strider's breaking balls, his curveball. And what have I told you? Calm me down here. Calm me down. But seeing a curveball from Spencer Strider is is just sickening. Unbelievable to think about him having that type of pitch. It really is. And I, 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 I just think it could lead to really, 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 really good things. I mean, I think we're facing really really good things here in the next six months but when you think of Spencer Strider getting better Spencer Strider last year was really good now he he didn't have a low ERA 
So, you know, occasionally he would allow some runs. But, I mean, he was pretty dominant for a large portion of his starts. He had a record of 20-5. and I still like winning games for pitchers, by the way. He had uh, 32 starts, a 3.86 ERA, 146 hits allowed in 186 innings pitched, which is ridiculous. To me, anything under hits per innings per inning, a hit per inning is really good. This guy had 40 fewer hits than innings pitched last year. 58 walks, which is not awful. And then 281 strikeouts. You kind of think that Spencer Strider would prefer or has a goal of 300 strikeouts. I mean, if you're at, if you're at 281, you got to think, man, if I if I go up just a little bit more, I could have 300 strikeouts. Because 300 strikeouts just doesn't happen very often anymore, which is crazy because it used to happen all the time. But you would think that Spencer would have that kind of of goal. And maybe that's where the curveball is coming from. Now, he could just think, well, if I had a curveball to this arsenal, they ain't got a player. And I, I think they don't have a prayer. If this if this guy adds this other breaking ball, whatever you want to call it, curveball, whatever it is, some people were even saying, is it a sweeper? It looks like a sweeper at times. Well, I don't think it's a sweeper. That's usually more of a slider. I mean, this had a break in it like it was a curveball. So... But still, maybe that's what he feels that he has to do to get those strikeouts up even higher. I mean, Spencer had a an unbelievable uh, 13.5 strikeouts per nine innings, which led all of baseball last year. year before that, it was even better. It was 13.8. Of course, he only made 20 starts, 31 games. But this year, uh, you know, can that be even better? That's what is kind of scary about this guy. And with the walks still knock on wood under control, because he doesn't have a whole lot of control issues. He he's pretty good. His command's pretty decent, and he he's able to command that fastball. It's not not out of control at all. His walks per nine innings even got better this year or last year. Two point eight walks per nine innings compared to three point one in his previous season. And if he gets those better, I mean, he's 32 and 10 in his career. That's a 7.62 winning percentage with a 3.37 ERA. Remember, Max Fried has a career ERA of 3.03, uh, and that's why another reason why I don't want to lose Max Fried because, all right, you could say, well, I'm going to let Max Fried walk away because we've got Spencer Strider. If you got two, why would you want to lose one? Don't you want to like keep both of them, especially with all that revenue coming in? So, anyway, uh, Spencer Strider throwing a curveball to me is like, let's break in on CNN and tell everybody that. That's some scary stuff right there. His ability to get better and to truly get better as a player is just, uh, it's it's something, and I think. That, that's what you have to look at and say, all right, can a 104-win team from last year get better? Hell, yeah, it can. I think it can. And especially if some of these individual players get better. And there's room for improvement in these guys. All have a room for improvement. There's no question about that. But um, anyway, it's uh, fun to see these little things like the 
like the curveball from Mr. Strider. More spring training stuff that we see during the year that is uh, awfully interesting when players try to get be- better, better, and they try to make improvements and they try to take that next step in their career. And you know, Spencer Strider's kind of different. He's a real smart kid, even though he went to Clemson, and and he he really does think about what he's doing. He he puts a lot of thought into his body. Puts a lot of thought into his diet, kind of like me. He puts a lot of thought into just about everything he does. And he's the kind that you would expect to really think, oh, yeah, I can definitely be better than what I have been so far. And he's been really good so far. He's been outstanding so far. He he is becoming, I, I, think, I think he's an ace right now. I think when someone puts up the numbers that he's put up, there's no question he's an ace pitcher. The Braves actually, for the first time since the Big Three, have more than one ace pitcher. I really believe that. I think there's more than one ace pitcher for this team, which is why it could be really, really good. And then, of course, Chris Sell and Charlie Morton. But I think Max, uh, rather, uh, well, Max too, but I think Spencer is the kind of, of pitcher and baseball player who, no matter how well he does, he's going to feel like he can get better and make those adjustments and you know heck i was hoping he'd just simply come to camp ready to throw that change up more which again i think is kind of underrated but here he is with another breaking ball good luck on that how 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 do you what kind of meeting are you going to have to try to strategize against that that's going to be awfully rough isn't it awfully rough so yeah it it's um it's encouraging to see that he has five innings of shutout baseball so far we're four weeks away from opening day. I would suspect if everything goes as planned, Max Fried will probably be the opening day starter in Philadelphia. He has been the last couple of years, and I would think Spencer may be number two. Um, they, you know, and I, I said that um, they may want to get uh, Chris Sell uh, in Chicago against the White Sox, but then you think about it. Well, that may not be true because they have three games in Philadelphia, three games then in Chicago. They they may want to have Mr. Sell pitch against the Phillies because he did really well last year against Philadelphia when they play, when the Chicago played him. So they they may they may not want him to pitch against the White Sox. They may go ahead and let him pitch against. They may be you know Max Spencer and then Chris Sell with Charlie going against the White Sox in Game One of that series, and uh, we'll see. Plenty of time to work that out, and of course, Brian Snicker's got to announce who his who his opening day starter will be. And we may hear about that sometime next week. But baseball is getting closer, and it's awfully fun to see all these reports from Florida on how well the Braves are doing. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.